So just to start with a little bit of recap where we got up to last week, we were exploring mindfulness of the body in a bit more detail. And I just tried to normalize how for many of us, this mindfulness of the body does take quite a bit of training. Because in uh, dominant mainstream culture, as we were just saying, we're really not encouraged to pay that much attention to the body. Quite the opposite. Most of us tend to privilege our intellects at the expense of the body. And so for many people, this invitation to really come into this more embodied presence can be quite challenging at first. So it can take quite a bit of patience to develop this skill. And it is a skill that can be developed. And the benefits, as I mentioned last week, there's quite a few. So just a quick recap. One advantage of paying attention to the body is that the body is always in the present moment. Unlike the mind, which often is racing off into the future or going back into the past, getting lost in regrets and anxieties and so on, sensations in the body are only ever happening now, right? Is that anybody experiencing anything physically not right now? So, I mean, it's funny in a way, it's common sense, but when you really notice, as soon as you connect with a physical sensation, boom, you're back in the present moment. So this is one very powerful advantage of paying attention to the body. It brings us back to present moment reality. And then being aware of the body and just the body, as this uh, Ben, Benny was saying earlier, it brings us... We focus on just one thing and it gathers the awareness. We stop being scattered and distracted. The body, the heart, the mind become unified. And when all of this comes together in just one experience, most people experience that as quite soothing, grounding, centering, calming, and so on. And then there's the wisdom aspect. So as we pay more attention to the body it helps to, de to develop a healthier relationship to it. Because as we pay attention to the body, we see it's constantly changing. It's not actually possible to have it be exactly how we want it to be. And it's not completely under our control. And so with that clear seeing, we learn to relate to the body as it actually is and to appreciate it as it actually is, rather than resisting it or rejecting it or identifying with any aspect of it. We can appreciate the body as the body. The fourth reason we pay attention to mindfulness of the body is that it's, a, for most people, an easier place to cultivate this quality of bare awareness which, as I mentioned last week, is really a key aspect of mindfulness. This capacity to not react, not resist, not struggle with experience. So mindfulness or sati has this quality of non-reactivity built into it. Whatever our experience is, rather than judging it, we're trying to meet it with this grounding in kind curiosity. 
And for most people, this is a bit easier to do with the body than with the mind. Because most of us tend to pretty quickly get lost in our thoughts and emotions, take them to be real, to be true, to be who I am, and start trying to change them, manipulate them, and so on. So for most people, it's harder to just practice bare awareness with the mind. But again, it's a skill that we're going to be building up to, and we will be exploring that later in this course. So it's no accident that in the core text for the whole insight meditation tradition, the Satipatthana Sutta, also known as the four establishments of mindfulness, or the four foundations of mindfulness, in this key discourse, the first establishment is mindfulness of the body. Because when we have a strong foundation of mindfulness of the body, it's easier to then begin to open up the field of our awareness to include more and more different aspects of our experience. And that's really what we're doing tonight and over the next few weeks gradually bringing in more and more things to pay attention to. And perhaps already you might have a sense that with this process of progressively opening up the awareness, you might recognize that mindfulness is not a static state. It's not one, just one mental quality it's more a way of relating to our experience, meeting whatever is happening with this attitude of kind curiosity. And I want to emphasize that because one of the drawbacks of translating the Pali word sati as mindfulness is that in English, mindfulness is a noun. And it can sound like a fixed, static state that we have to get. And we either have it or we don't. But in actual practice, as I said, it's more of a relationship to our experience. And like every relationship, it needs to be responsive and flexible. It's constantly adapting to conditions. And in the beginning, though, people tend to overshoot the mark. And again, this was true for me. Uh, I started to learn mindfulness pretty early on in the Mahasi tradition, which is a fairly rigorous Burmese style. And I thought that mindfulness went pinhead fixation on every last detail of experience. And I did it so intensively that I would get headaches, not realizing that this was really wrong effort. And so this attempt to develop a kind of pinhead focus, even fixation on the breath and just the breath without me knowing was leading up to really intense tension, tension in the body, tension in the mind, which as I'm sure you all know is pretty counterproductive. The other piece I want to highlight is even though we start generally with mindfulness of the breath, with breathing, Sometimes people get the mistaken impression that mindfulness is only about the breath, that that's what it is. And I've even had people come on retreat and say, wow, I thought mindfulness was breathing and we're doing walking and sounds and mind and all that's mindfulness. Like, because we tend to get those same initial instructions, we start with the breath. 
people can get the idea that that's it. But we start with the breath because it helps to develop not only mindfulness or sati, but also samadhi, which I've been defining as stability or steadiness of mind, the capacity for the mind to stay still with whatever is happening. So again, mindfulness needs to be responsive. And sometimes I use the analogy of a camera lens. So as some of you know, on retreat, sometimes our mindfulness gets very gathered. It does naturally get focused. And it's almost like we're zooming in to using the macro lens of a camera where we can see all the tiny details and incredible clarity. And that can be beautiful when it happens naturally. But if we're aiming for it, trying to get that, the effort there sometimes um, can be tiring, difficult to sustain. So if we notice that we're getting a little bit tunnel vision or myopic or tense, that can be a skillful time to metaphorically open the lens more to a panoramic or wide angle mode. When we do that, the mindfulness is still there, but it's covering a wider range of objects. So for me right now, I'm in more wide angle mode and I have a sense visually of all of you here. I'm also somewhat aware of the sound of my voice. I'm aware of the movements of my body. I'm aware of what's on the page. There's some degree of mindfulness, but it's spread over a broader range of objects. And one benefit of this is because it's a relatively expansive form of mindfulness, it can help the mind to relax. So we simply settle back and receive whatever experiences present themselves at any of what are known as the sense doors. So in any moment of experience, what's actually happening? There'll be either a sight or a sound or a smell or a taste or a physical sensation or a ment some kind of mental activity, right? And again, I'd just like to check, is anybody right now experiencing something that's not one of those six things? You know, it's quite obvious and simple. Most of the time we think we are these incredibly complex beings, but in any moment, it's like a six-piece orchestra, and those different notes are being played, but there are only actually six instruments so the benefit of this wide-angle approach is it can help make us more relaxed, more spacious. The downside is sometimes that spaciousness can become spacey, and we just find ourselves ooh, drifting, not really focused, um, just kind of distracted. So again, part of the skill of the practice, if we notice that, is to come back to a more focused approach, and to choose just one, what we call anchor. So we use this term anchor to refer to whatever we choose to be our meditation object. So it could be the breath. We stay with the breath for a while. And then when the samadhi, the stability has got stronger, we can open up again. So this evening, we're going to be exploring this more receptive aspect of mindfulness by working with the experience of hearing. 
Now, so far, we've mostly been using the breath and physical sensations as our anchor or home base. But as I think we touched into last week in response, I think maybe it's to your question about using the breath. For some people, the breath isn't the best anchor. You know, some people might have um, trauma associated with the breath. Maybe they have asthma or bronchitis or other physical conditions. Some people who've done perhaps a lot of pranayama practices, the yoga practices, they find it really hard to let go of controlling the breath and just allowing it to be. Other people have anxiety or panic attacks that affect the breath. So bringing the awareness there might not be the neutral experience that we're, we're looking for. So again, depending on what's happening in our lives and our practice, we can experiment with what we use as our anchor or home base. So tonight, working with sound, there are a couple of benefits to doing this. One is it can, again, help the mind relax because unlike the breath, we can't control sounds. We can't make them happen. We can't make them stay. We can't make them go away. All we can do is settle back and receive the experience of hearing. So mindfulness of hearing automatically brings us into this more relaxed and receptive mode of mindfulness. And in fact, you could say that in some ways, mindfulness is a form of listening. It's tuning and listening to our experience. And the second benefit of listening as a formal practice is that it brings us closer to our daily life experience. Unlike when we're focusing on the breath, we're not trying to ignore everything else that's going on and just keep coming back to the breath. Instead, we just allow sounds to be known with that same bare awareness that we bring to the breath. So we're not getting involved in the sounds in any way. We're not trying to identify them. Is that a bus or a truck? We're not, we just know or note right on cue, hearing, hearing, hearing. So we notice a sound calls our attention and we can notice it or know it for as long as the sound lasts. Then it ends and another sound calls our attention. So in this way, we're moving to whatever is predominant. And this term predominant refers to whatever naturally calls our attention. So we let the mindfulness connect with what is naturally calling the attention. It stays there until something else naturally calls the attention. And sometimes it might feel like there's a whole cacophony of sounds going on. And it's hard to know which one to pay attention to. There's the bus out there, there's someone coughing in here, there's a phone, maybe there's background noise of toilets or kettles and so on. We don't have to focus on any sound in particular. If there's a lot, you might just know, okay, a lot of sound. Just allow the mind to notice whatever's clearest or strongest. So it's okay to let the attention move from sound to sound. Sometimes this might happen quite quickly. And if there isn't enough samadhi or stability of mind, it can be easy to get lost or confused or realize the mind's just wandered off wherever. 
again, when you notice this, there's another famous mantra from one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein. Anyone remember what it is? He says these are the three most important words in insight meditation. Simply begin again. Yeah, thank you. I like to add with a smile, simply begin again. Because there is that tendency to, oh, I lost it. Okay, begin again. But the invitation is when you realize that the mind has wandered, that recognition is a moment of mindfulness. So you're invited to celebrate that instead of notice the previous 33 and a half minutes when you weren't present. <laughs> so it really, it, whenever you recognize right there, that's great. So one other thing to say. I think maybe I mentioned this before, but this process of simply beginning again actually is the practice. And I mention that because in many ways, when we talk about mindfulness, it's almost like a setup for disappointment or feelings of failure. So we call it mindfulness of breathing. But if we're practicing mindfulness of breathing, how many people sit down, bell rings at the start, they stay present to every in-breath and every out-breath without a break for 30 minutes? Anybody? No, so, you know, we call, it, we call it mindfulness of breathing, but really it should be mindfulness of breathing and thinking or whatever else is going on. So it's more accurate and normalizes it. Now, it's true that on retreat, you might at times experience that kind of continuity for periods of time, but most of us, most of the time, are working with a mind that moves. And that is totally okay. So after the tea, when we go into the mindfulness of sound, you'll notice there'll be times when you lose focus. But when you notice that the mindfulness is restored, you're back on track. Maybe half a second later, it goes again. Okay, that's where the smile comes in. With a smile, simply begin again. Knowing that probably every other person in the room is doing the same thing. They may look like they're sitting there as some kind of poster example of the perfect meditator, but you can be pretty sure that internally they're doing some variation of exactly what you're doing. So patience, gentleness, kindness, gently bringing the awareness back to whatever the anchor is over and over again is what develops sati, mindfulness, and samadhi, steadiness of mind. Okay, so that's probably a good place just to stop. And <coughs> thank you for your attention. And now, slowly and mindfully, we can take some time for a cup of tea. Thanks.